Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Garmo here, host of the show and from Epiphany Communications and Coaching. One of my favorite feast days, and it's also one of the favorite feast days of our next guest. December 6th is the Feast of St. Nicholas, and joining us to talk about the Feast of St. Nicholas and the Shrine at Sacred Heart Byzantine Catholic Church is Father Joseph Marquis. Father, how are you? Oh, it's a wonderful day. (laughs) We're just keeping busy as usual. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And I know this is uh, a special day for you because you have had a devotion to St. Nicholas for a long time. So you can share that with us and so much about St. Nicholas. So how did December 6th end up his feast day? Well, in uh, in our tradition, when uh, the saints head for eternity, that is considered their birthday. So birthday uh, into life eternal. So the date of the 6th, coincides with uh, St. Nicholas being glorified in heaven. Amen. Okay, so tell us a little bit about St. Nicholas for those who may not be so familiar with his story. Yeah, he's a very uh, well-known, and yet there's a lot of mystery behind the person that is popularly called uh, Santa Claus. But really, he was a a bishop and uh, born in 370 A.D., and uh, he was born to a couple that were childless. They prayed uh, to God for, through the intercession of the Holy Mother of God, that uh, his mother would have a child, and she became pregnant, and uh, their son became uh, Nicholas. And as a little boy, he always had a propensity toward holiness and the saints and so forth. Of course, in his day, uh, there was a, a saint, Leo of Patara, now, he was a martyr that died 10 years before Nicholas. I would say he would be akin to Father Solanus Casey in Metropolitan Detroit, a local mm. hero that everyone mm. always talked about, and they had memories of Leo of Patara. Leo was um, tied, bound hand and foot, and uh, they had a long uh, rope tied to him, and they made him drown in a, uh, a rapids area, a waterway oh. that was quite uh, violent. And uh, so they took his body out, and then the Christians, of course, claimed it, and they had the burial site for uh, St. Leo. Now, he um, he was also uh, a person that attracted uh, St. Nicholas because of the stories of the martyrs, and, of course, during the that period of uh, several years, they had a terrible outbreak of violence in Asia Minor, which is where Patara is. It's actually a seaport that's still there. Um, and uh, so consequently, uh, St. Leo was a, a big deal. When, uh, when a, uh, 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 there was an uh, a epidemic that struck uh, in Patara, and many people were dying, and St. Nicholas's parents were wealthy. He was a textile merchant, and in those days, uh, you don't go to the store to buy clothing. You actually made your own clothing. Or maybe if you had a lot of money, you had a tailor do it. It was a professional, but most people made their own clothing. So he would uh, sell, the, the father of St. Nicholas would sell cloth uh, to the wealthy, and uh, he was a person with a skill, and that gave him a certain element of freedom. And Nicholas studied in the Agora with a lot of wealthy kids that were actually part of the aristocracy. So we had three groups of people at the time of Nicholas's youth, 
there were uh, the, of course, the aristocracy at the top. The vast majority of people, the only thing they really owned were their bellies, and usually they were empty. And then you had uh, St. Nicholas and his family being very devout Christians. They they were um, really people that were into philanthropy. In fact, St. Nicholas, as he got older, he was recognized as probably the first well-known Christian philanthropist. Now, there were uh, saints like, uh, after Nicholas's life, uh, St. Anthony of the Desert, who was rich, and he gave away all of his wealth, but it was just basically him getting rid almost like a garage sale. He got uh-huh. rid of everything, and the money that he collected was going to uh, people in need, but also for his sister, who wanted to become a uh, anchorite, a female uh, religious contemplative in his day. And mm-hmm. so he wanted to provide a roof over her, had any followers who would follow her in the mas- monastic life, which was in case uh, she attracted vocations, which she did. So she was more than an anchorite as things passed. Uh, in terms of Nicholas's parents, they had this terrible epidemic that broke out in uh, in the Patara, and many people became sick. So they used their fortune to help the sick and the dying, and they attended to uh, the, the sick and the dying and also were providing aid to childless, uh, um, or I should say, uh, children whose parents had died in the epidemic. So she would so place orphans. children who were orphans, and the state didn't really care one way or another. You had no rights, especially if the uh, the surviving person was a mother and they had a little girl. Women had no rights. We uh, tend to talk about uh, feminism in the secular sense in the society. This is real uh, terrible things uh, going on during the Roman Empire. But to get back to the point here, uh, they would provide placement of children whose parents had uh, died and made sure they got, uh, you know, a, a solid relationship in a modest family. Uh, but Nicholas's parents got ill and died themselves from this outbreak. And so being the only child, and he was at this time about 18 or 19, he inherited everything. But being uh, a devout Christian, and his mother and father were extraordinary examples of goodness, um, he decided he wanted to follow Christ in the priesthood. So he's the first saint that would designate money under the cover of night, and that was because of an anonymity. Our Lord said, don't let one hand know what the other one's doing when you're doing acts of charity, and he followed that. Mm-hmm. And so the rest of his life was, was a life of enriched by philanthropy. Even as a bishop later on, he reserved money to help the poor and the needy. His first um, act of goodness is the one that's remembered the best. And that's when a, a man who was a widower, he was very rich. He was a merchant like his dad. And he had three grown daughters. He lost his uh, wife in the same epidemic that took uh, Nicholas's parents. And Nicholas knew them. The sad thing about this is you wonder, how in the world does a rich man become destitute? Yeah. Well, in those days, didn't they have the good hands people at all state? <laughs> to ensure you'd have the recompense for any losses. And uh, sometimes you get a really great opportunity to make, uh, you know, windfall, and very often the ships were lost at sea. Most historians believe that's the circumstances of this man because it's the Mm -hmm. only thing that makes any real sense. Mm -hmm. So Nicholas heard about that, and he collected three bags of gold coins, and on three separate occasions, under the cover of night, he crept up to the window and threw the bag each individual back to the window to provide dowries for his grown daughters. 
On the last night, the man was fighting sleep, and he wanted to see if anyone was going to arrive again. And he caught young Nicholas there, and Nicholas begged him not to tell anybody. Well, we know that he told because we wouldn't have this story yeah. today if it wasn't for the, the uh, grateful man in the community. And that was the first of St. Nicholas's midnight visits, and that's the reason to this day. He still delivers uh, gifts under the cover of night because the emphasis is enriching the other person, not one's ego. He was a man of true humility. Amen. When did your devotion to St. Nicholas start, Father? Because I know that has really prompted you to start this relic collection that you have at your beautiful church. Well, (laughs) it started when I was young. I was uh, just a... Well, almost five years of age, my twin brother Richard and I, uh, my father was sent to the sanitarium on uh, Labor Day weekend of 1953, Mayberry Sanitarium in Plymouth, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother had a problem uh, pregnancy. So here we are in September. My father's in a sanitarium, and uh, my mother's... Uh, and uh, we had all kinds of financial mm-hmm. issues. Imagine no breadwinner at the time. So what happened was um, uh, we had a, a great aunt came in from Gary, Indiana, to, to keep watch over us and take care of us while she would have the baby. About I would guess it was probably about a week uh, before uh, Christmas, and uh, my mother was crying and my great aunt was there, and I found out why our great aunt came, because Rich and I could hear them discussing if something happens to me, raised in the sanitarium, uh, take the, the, the twins, the boys, to Wisconsin. We had an uncle, her brother, had a farm, a dairy farm. And we're there, what's going on? And she's crying. And so we're kind of, what is going on here? We had no idea. Why would uh, we go to Wisconsin? That was place as far away place. And so uh, what happened was, on Christmas Eve of 1953, she went through labor, and they rushed her to the hospital. And there was a lot of crisis going on, and my great-aunt, she's a real uh, holy person. She went to Mass every day of her life. And so uh, she uh, was there, and she said, well, you know, it's a special day. Tomorrow's Jesus' birthday. We're not going to have a tree. We can't afford a tree, but let's get the crest from the attic. And Richard and I said, well, you know, what's a crash? We had no idea what she was talking about. She said, you're French-Canadian. You don't have a crash. What's wrong with you? So she said, your auntie is going to take you downtown. Downtown Lincoln Park was about three and a half miles down uh, 4th Street in the Dunn River area in Lincoln Park. And we found a Woolworths, and uh, she took us there, and it was Christmas Eve, of course, so they had clearance sales, and they had uh, a small, very inexpensive nativity scene with a cardboard stable, uh, the Holy Family, one shepherd, uh, two sheep, and uh, a camel, and two wise men. I don't know what happened to the other wise men, but uh, apparently he was out having a cup of coffee, and the other guys <laughs> So anyway, make a long story short, here we are. It was beautiful. We had this uh, old uh, uh, Philco television set, huge, uh, you know, center, you might say, with a 12-inch screen on the uh, black and white TV with the rabbit ears, and this is going away. Oh back. yeah, yeah. And we had an yeah, AM radio, no FM, and uh, we had a turntable played to 17 and 33 and a third records. That was all, but you know, that's what we had. And we had a bare floor. We had nothing in the house. Basically, it was basically I would say early American uh, cast-offs. <laughs> that was yeah. the type of furniture we had, and. Uh, 
uh, in any event, um, she set up the nativity scene. And she said, I, I, I know uh, we're disappointed this year, but we got to honor Jesus' birthday tomorrow. And so she sets this thing up on top of the Philco television, and, and lo and behold, a few minutes later, there was a uh, knock at the door, and three men were standing there, and uh, they worked with my father. And I said, well, my father's name was Ray. And we worked with Ray at Engine Engineering in Dearborn. He worked at the, the Ford Experimental Lab, my father. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, well, we were driving along, and we saw these tre- this tree and thought, maybe you could use a tree this year. Uh-huh. So we were really excited. We're going to have a Christmas tree. So the men said, well, tell us where the tree stand is, and we'll bring it down, and we'll put the lights on it. That's, that's the hard part. The fun part is after dinner uh, with your aunt, you know, you can decorate the tree. So it was, like, really exciting. So they moved this huge, uh, you know, TV, whatever you want to call it, yeah. and combination set, and uh, they put the tree up, and we decorated the tree. And then she took the – my Aunt Eva took the uh, nativity scene down from the, the Philco television and put it at the base of the tree. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Why would you put it under the tree? And she said, well, everything – the tr- Christmas tree grows out of – Christmas, that makes no sense to me. I'm a little kid. That means nothing yeah. to me. Yeah. She said, well, that's the greatest gift we have at Christmas time. That made sense. <laughs> so I can yeah. understand what she meant. So yeah. before um, we went to bed, she called us forward, had the tree lights on, turned all the lights off in the uh, living room, and she had pulled a chair up to the front of the tree, and she gathered my brother Richard and I side by side, and she said, well, you, know, uh, you know, both mom and dad are very sick. And, uh, you know, they're having some problems with their health, and we've got to place our trust in Jesus uh, about the baby born in Bethlehem. So uh, that sounds pretty good to me. So we're, we're praying. But she led the prayer and asked uh, God uh, through uh, the intercession of St. Nicholas uh, to uh, save my mother's and my father's life, basically. Mm. So because we knew they were both seriously ill. Well, she said, now, um, what did you want more than anything in the world? And I remember Rich and I went to one of Santa's helpers, and uh, we said, well, we want a Lionel train that puffs real smoke. And uh, my great aunt was there, and she said, well, you wanted more than a train, didn't you? And then I felt guilty. And I said, well, yeah, we want Mom and Dad home in, in good health, you know, basically. And, uh, and But in my head, I said, yeah, but it would be nice to also have a Lionel train that puffs real smoke, you know. Yeah. So we were doing that prayer, and suddenly there there was a presence that enveloped my brother Richard and I. I can feel it right now. And uh, Richard looks at me and he says, "Did you feel that?" It was like an, uh, a current that went went through us, but enveloped us. And we looked up at our aunt, and she said, "What was that? What was that, Aunt Eva?" Well, <laughs> you have to remember this is 1953. Uh, that's the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm thinking of boogeyman movies with, ooh, you know. Yeah. No, 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 no. Spirit. It's a spirit. That's God, and he's letting us know he's not going to abandon us. And so just trust in Jesus, and you'll get what you want for Christmas. And you know what you want. And I said, yeah, a Lionel train that puffs real smoke. <laughs> and then I felt guilty. I caught myself. No, I want mom and dad home and, a, you know, a, a baby. I don't know the brother or sister. So she put us to bed, and she left the light on. My brother and I had little twin beds there. And my brother in the darkness is saying, 
Can you feel God? Uh. I can still feel God. And I said, yeah. And we fell asleep. Next morning we got up, and I'm thinking Lionel trains. This is the era of the train. Went to the tree, and we were crestfallen. We looked into the tree. We had two cars, one for each one was a little plastic. They, were, they weren't even expensive cars. And two stuffed um, animals that you get, the county fair type of thing. That was it. We had socks. We never had stockings. We had socks, and we split up one pair of socks, and we had some little candy in there, and that was about it. And my aunt is sitting in a chair and stretches out her arms to both of us and gives us each knee, and she lets us have a good cry. And uh, after we had an opportunity to get the initial sorrow out, you get the endorphins flowing, we're feeling a, a little bit better. She said, I know you're very, uh, you're very disappointed, but you have to recognize, you know, this is a very, very tough time. Now, remember, when you saw Santa's help, St. Nicholas's helper, Santa, at the store, what did he say? He would pray for us to St. Nicholas to help us. Mm. And St. Nicholas is going to bring a special gift to us today. She said, I'm absolutely convinced of it. And then she pointed out the nativity scene, and she said, you see... Uh, the nativity scene, who's missing? And we both said, well, one of the wise men is missing. She said, well, yes, but there's a good reason for that. I don't know anything about Matthew's gospel. I'm five years old. I want a Lionel train. That's all I know. Yeah. And she said, um, in life, you don't always get what you want, but if you trust in God, you will always get everything you'll ever really need in life. Now, the Two, the two kings, you think one king is late. Actually, the other two are, are, two, two are uh, early. And we're, we're at, wait a minute, we're looking at, she said, no. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but within two years, Jesus was just, uh, just a little toddler, and the three kings arrived together, but they had a house. They had a house that didn't have that little stable. They were moved to a house, and Saint uh, Joseph was making uh, things that carpenters make for a living, and uh, she said that um, if the Magi arrived two years late and they brought birthday presents, does that mean they're no longer birthday presents just because they didn't arrive on his birthday? And uh, Richard said, "No, no, that's a birthday present," and I agreed with him. And she said, "You know, today is Christmas Day. Your mom had problems with the baby." And I believe that God's trying to show us what the real gift of Christmas is. And wait until the day is over. You'll find out that God didn't forget us and that St. Nicholas answered our prayers. So later on that afternoon, we got a phone call, 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Day. And my mother, they had pushed several units of blood through her. She almost died on the table. But she gave birth to a baby brother born on Christmas Day. She survived the pregnancy. And uh, she came back. It took two weeks before she came back with the baby, but she was in the hospital. She had all kinds of problems. And uh, she came back with a healthy baby boy. Oh. My father's, the prayer for my dad took longer. He was released uh, uh, the following year on the feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. And my Aunt Bernadette, his sister, Sister Bernadette Marquis, uh, she prayed to Our Lady of Lourdes and St. Bernadette, and he was released on the feast of Our Lady of Lourdes from... Northville, wow. he lived to be an old man. 
What a beautiful so story. So that's the reason I feel indebted to St. Nicholas, and I want to do everything <laughs> I can to promote devotion. You can imagine. I said I would do it for the rest of my life to promote devotion to St. Nicholas. That's how it happens. So people listening, and, and they're hearing your devotion, this beautiful story, Father, How? what kind of intercessory prayer should we be asking of St. Nicholas during this Advent season? You know, because we know the, pray, the saints pray for us. People struggling with what? You know, what should they be asking him for? We're living through a very difficult time, and some people think the material needs are the most important. Uh, but the most important gift we can give is the gift of our faith and the power flowing from Christ's resurrection. Many times you'll find people, there may be material, in material ways, uh, very rich, but they're poor. Uh, money does not bring happiness, it brings creature comforts. And we're living in a very difficult time. People have forgotten, you know, the whole point of life. They think it's all about this life. They live like that anyway. And when you die, you die like a dog, apparently. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, in terms of this period we're living in, we have to be people of hope. St. Nicholas was an icon of Jesus Christ, as I mentioned previously. He's really the most notable of uh, benefactors that uh, lived in the early church, and he's considered the first Christian benefactor because he not just simply gave money away like I'm having a garage sale or something, but what he did was he isolated it on specific need. He always had a special emphasis for the poor, the marginalized, the most vulnerable of society, uh, widows and orphans. And that quality remains with uh, Santa Claus. He's dressed differently today. Uh, There are secular influences that happened when the Dutch brought the tradition of St. Nicholas arriving on the eve of his feast, which is December 5. And on the 6th, he rides as a bishop on his white horse, Amerigo. And on the 6th, the kids wake up in the morning and they find little gifts in their wooden shoes in Holland. Well, in New Amsterdam, when the Dutch came here, the settlers, which is now modern-day New York City, uh, they brought that tradition with them. And with the coming of the English settlers... Uh, the uh, If you've ever been in New York, and I'm talking about, you can ask uh, Teresa Damio. If you've ever been in New York, they named a little different. There you go. Huh? And they mispronounced the Dutch name of Sinterklaas, which literally means Santa, uh-huh. or St. Nicholas, pardon me. Sinterklaas, and they made it, here comes Santa Claus. You know? Uh. So Santa Claus literally means St. Nicholas. And they gave him an extreme makeover in the early part of the 19th century, influenced by Washington Irving in a fanciful uh, story. It was actually meant to be a satire on how uh, New York was founded with St. Nicholas coming from uh, Holland. There's no way they're going to honor St. Andrew because that's too British. So they decided they would announce that uh, St. Nicholas was the big hero in uh, New Amsterdam. And uh, they, uh, they actually secularized him as also with regard to Clement Moore's poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, that he wrote in 1822 for his children about a little old driver, so lovely, big, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Well, the reason he had doubts is because he's dressed like an elf. And so they removed uh, the, the mitre and they substituted for a triangular shape on his Santa Claus cap. And his coat, a red coat, was shortened. He put fur on it, became its furry coat. And as Crozier got corrupted, and this is the reason to this day, Santa Claus is always associated with candy canes. Mm. Wow. So the name Santa Claus means 
St. Nicholas. So it's the same person. And what that tells us is that no matter how we're dressed in life or whatever, we always have to be people of hope and healing, and we have to shed the light of Christ on on a world that's really despairing. And he was always the person that came in when the world walked out. St. Nicholas is always a person you could believe in, even when everyone self, everyone, everyone believes that, well, everything's lost. Everything's lost. St. Nicholas is an icon of hope. He's a Christ icon in that sense, but we're all called to be living icons of Jesus. Yeah, I love that, a Christ icon of hope. Uh, Father, it's, it's always a pleasure talking with you. I love having you on the show. We have a few minutes left here, a couple minutes left. What else do you want to share with our listeners before we let you go? Uh, don't give up hope. You can give up optimism. I was optimistic uh, that the Tigers were going to get in the, in the playoffs this year. <laughs> <Didn't work laughs> for baseball club. Hope is something that uh, is there even when things appear to be completely upside down. There are a lot of concerns, too. St. Nicholas is a wonderful person to pray for uh, on behalf of families. The family is under attack. The very nature of yeah. man and woman is under attack. Even the very nature of why there are men and women. Uh, is under attack. This is all demonic activity. St. Nicholas was brought up during a very pagan time of bloody persecutions. He himself was thrown into prison under Emperor Diocletian, who wanted to make the Christian faith absolutely extinct. And St. Nicholas was born during this uh, this broad period, but under Diocletian, he was uh, a bishop in Myra, which is about 35 miles due east of the seaport of Patara, Myra and Petara, by the way, are mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, St. Uh, Paul made missionary journeys to both Petara and Myra, so there's even a double uh, significance there. It's believed that St. Nicholas's ancestors were converted by St. Paul himself. Uh, but in a time of darkness, St. Nicholas is a person that always shows up. He will not, he will not forget the prayers of the marginalized and the quote-unquote nobodies of this world. He's a person of hope, and no matter how he is dressed, his spirit is still the same. He's filled with the hope and joy of the birth of Jesus Christ that it actually wakes him so jolly. That's the source of him being jolly, is that the love of Christ was manifested in a humble cave in Bethlehem. Of course, the Word was made flesh liturgically nine months later on the 25th of March. And exactly nine months later, uh, he is born in a humble cave in Bethlehem, and the world has never been the same. It's a time of reflecting upon a light coming in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Amen. And Nicholas is a shining light when everything is dark and despairing. Even when he was in prison, he was tortured, but he was not uh, murdered. Several of his flocks, several of his clergy were murdered, uh, but he would not renounce his faith in Christ. He was steadfast in that, and that's a real hero. We need heroes today. Look to St. Nicholas. Amen. Father, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure uh, having you on. You, you're such a great storyteller, Father Joseph Marquis. And, of course, he's an awesome reliquary of sacred relics at his Sacred Heart Byzantine Catholic Church. Father, thank you so much for joining us. All right, dude. God bless you. And Merry Christmas to everyone out there in Radio Land. Christ is born. Glorify him. Merry Christmas. Amen to that. Father Joseph Marquis, thank you so much for joining us, sharing with us the story of St. Nicholas. If you have any questions or comments or show topics you want me to cover here on It's Your Community, you can reach out to me personally. You can go to Epiphany Communications and Coaching and email me, info at epiphanyccc.com or, or Vanessa at epiphanyccc.com. You can put in the subject line, It's Your Community. 
You can also find me on all the social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn, Vanessa Denhagarmo. You can find Epiphany Communications and Coaching on Facebook, Vanessa Denhagarmo on Instagram, and Vanessa Denhagarmo on Twitter. As always, we remind you to connect, communicate, and to collaborate with your community. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time right here on It's Your Community. It's Your Community, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR.